Oh, so good to be with you. I heard that uh, Ryan and Ashley, and kids are in the building, or here. Where's, where's Ryan and Ashley? It's a little hard to see. For Welcome, guys. Good to see you. Yeah. Our, some of you know who they are, and some of you don't. Uh, pastor Ryan was our first youth pastor at Eaglemont Church, and he and Ashley served in ministry uh, so well uh, over the years, invested much in Eaglemont Church, so uh, great, to, great to see you barely with uh, old eyes and bright lights. Today's a standalone message entitled Worship as Surrender. That second song we sang this morning was so appropriate, and I'm forgetting the title. Christ be magnified at the altar of my life. And I want to let you know that this message is um, more of a pastoral sharing of biblical reflections about worship. Might seem kind of some random thoughts. It's, it's more conversational than it is a structured outline. And that's for you type A people, just so you're aware. Just breathe, okay? But I, but I do feel God wants me to share what I'm going to share as we head into a new season as a church family. I also want to say that if, if you're seeking spiritually, whether you're here in person or, or uh, connecting in online, you, you're, you're in a safe place to do that. And I'm glad you're doing that. What I'm sharing today is, is more directed to those who are already Christ followers, but, but, but there's, there's still insight, I believe, that you can gain wherever you're at on your spiritual journey. And I want to start with a truth point. And we've We've prayed already, so God bless your word to our hearts, right? A truth point. Very simply, everyone worships. Everyone worships. I mean, to worship has been put within us by our creator. Uh, Of course, he does not force us to worship or serve him. He's given us this thing we call free will, to choose to do so or not. And that's a good thing. So, so that when we do choose to worship and follow him, it's actually authentic and, and not some pre-programmed robotic response, right? Who, who of us would, would want that kind of relationship with God? Certainly, God hopes that our, our hearts and our worship are directed toward him because he knows that he loves us and cares about us most, more than anybody. Everyone worships. People worship Sports heroes, they worship movie stars, people worship money and success, possessions, education, a new motorbike or a new water ski. In some countries, it's even an inanimate object carved out of wood or stone that becomes the focus of people's worship. The response of worship is put within us. It just can look different from person to person. Now let's consider the good question, what is worship from a biblical perspective? Is it, is it something that church people do only on Sunday or only an hour on Sunday or, or maybe only for 20 minutes or so in, in the context of that one hour as they're singing their worship? Is that all it is? Is worship reverent if it's quiet? And not reverent if it's loud. How many of you like loud music? 
Is it, is worship only hymns or, or only courses that have been written in the last five years? And if you get your preference in the gathering, then, then you really can enter into worship. <laughs> hmm. Pastor Tim Keller writes, worship is pulling our affections off our idols and putting them on God. And if you think you don't have idols or, you know, idols in your life or or things that could easily become idols, you may want to spend some time prayerfully thinking about that, actually. Worship is the spiritual experience and choice that is described so often in the Psalms. I want you to listen to a couple of verses from Psalm 149. It says, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise in the assembly of the saints. And and the word saints there, that's not not an extra special Christian. Throughout the Bible, anytime the word saint is used, it's, it's simply a reference to a person who loves and wants to and is endeavoring to follow Christ faithfully. It's not a, it's not a, Reference to the perfect person or someone that should be revered in any kind. No, it's um, uh, saint simply means to be set apart. So you're set apart to follow God. And so many of us in this place and watching online, you are. And then verse four says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Love it. People who will express worship and surrender to him. What what an amazing thing that we can bring joy to the creator of the universe through genuine worship expressed out of a love and devotion to him, both as we walk daily through life, of course, and, and as Psalms so often references, as we assemble together. As we just read in Psalm 149. Psalm 2612, the writer David also talks about worship together with others, uh, which helps him stay grounded and spiritually secure. He says it this way, my feet stand on level ground in the great congregation. I will praise the Lord. Now, again, of course, of course, we can worship and must worship God when we're alone. But the writer here is just expressing great excitement As many of you in this season have expressed, as you've come together, those who have excitement and and the the privilege, the privilege, it really is, of worshiping together with others who also love God. There's just something powerful about that, even with the mask on. Someone last week, I I think I mentioned it in my message before church, said I'd rather be here worshiping God with a mask on than, than, than not be able to be together. I love it. Now, worship is not something God needs as some egotistical uh, being, but rather God knows it, what it does for us as we worship because true worship is all about surrender and full surrender to God, to, to a God who loves us most and knows us best is just the greatest way to live. Pastor, going back some years a guy by the name of Pastor Jack Hayford of Van Nuys, California, who wrote the old song, Majesty, that is a song that I just, I just really believe Pastor Brennan is dying to lead. That's not a knock on the song. That's a generational thing. Anyway, um, but he writes this in this book. God calls us to worship him or to, to, to worship in his presence so he might release, redeem, renew, and restore us. And so many of you know, by personal experience, the meaning of those 
significant words that we're not taking time to unpack, but it's a, it's a great statement about worship. The, the original word, uh, worship, is worth-ship, which is an old English word that expresses uh, the value placed on someone or something. It's, it's the condition of being worthy, which of course God is, right? Definitely. And so the true depth of our love for God will be evidenced by our our commitment to worship him and, and, and worship that is a, a mindset and a lifestyle more than hands up and singing loud, which is fine and good, but you understand what I'm saying. You see, when we value someone, we, we do things to demonstrate that, don't we? We, we show our love and appreciation in, in words or in a written card or we may give gifts or we may express our commitment uh, to, to that person by finding ways to, to, to serve them or express our value uh, that we pl- have, that we feel toward that person by, by finding ways to serve and help them. And some of that serving can be people we don't even know because there's intrinsic value because they've been created in God's image even though we don't know them personally, Right? But, but those are ways we treasure the, the people we say that we value. And worship is treasuring God. And, and in worship, as I live out, uh, worship is a surrender. I, I, I'm pondering, I'm thinking about his, uh, his worth, and then, and then I do something about it. I, I give him what he's worth. I give him everything. And that's, that's a daily thing. Not to sound like a broken record, but I'll say it again. I said it recently, I know, but just because I got pastor in front of my name doesn't make that easier for me than for you. Giving him everything. That's worship. That's what Jesus calls us to as his followers. A full surrender. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half of the New Testament, and he used to be a persecutor of Christians, uh, killing them, putting them in prison. Uh, Jesus showed up, literally, you could read about it in Acts 9. His life was changed. He became uh, one, of the, one of the greatest missionaries and proclaimers of Christian faith in all of history. He wrote in Romans 12. Uh, Pastor Brennan referenced Romans 12 too. He wrote this in verse 1 of that same chapter. Uh, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. In other words, because he's done so much for us, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of service, or which is your true and proper worship, as the New Living Translation puts it. In other words, our full surrender shows in how we live. It shows in our, in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our words, in our actions. It's from the place of full surrender that everything else becomes meaningful worship. Everything else. Sure, my singing, yeah. My serving. My, my engagement daily with God's word. What I do for work, what you do for work becomes worship. How, how I love my wife, how I show that worship to God. Every time, every time I choose to, to obey what I know God wants me to say and do, all of it is genuine worship that God accepts and that brings him joy. That's awesome. It's awesome. Let's change gears a little bit. I want to read a true story now. But I preface it with this statement. 
living in full surrender as worship to God will keep you close to God when you face tough times. Pastor Jack Hayford, this same book, tells this story of a young couple that he knew. He says, Richard and Michelle's baby passed away. It was a case of crib death. That unexplained, invisible suffocator of infants, besides being devoted parents, they were also faithful servants to the congregation where they labored as pastoral assistants. Now, with the baby's death, a clutter of questions was buzzing overhead like flies as various local people, hearing of the, of the tragedy, probed one another with the usual questions. Where is God when things like this are happening? What did they do to deserve this? But Richard and Michelle didn't have any questions, only tears. Grief was deeply and understandably present, but so was a warm, very human and unpretentious simplicity of faith. They knew Kirsten's death had nothing to do with God. He neither willed her death nor took her life, nor did he watch the passing of their child with indifference. Within their sorrow, a quiet confidence reigned, a kind of rule which prevails when people understand that such situations are neither God's will nor God's fault. That tough things happen because our planet is sadly out of joint with God's intended order of things. They knew that in his God's original plan, design, he, God meant everything to be so different. Richard and Michelle discovered these truths in learning to worship. Through their years of preparation for ministry, they had grown in Christ, and they had grown in a pattern of giving and serving in Jesus' name. Their baby's death staggered them, but they didn't stumble. And at the root of their stability, they exhibited a steadfastness that was neither feigned nor forced. Hayford says, as he observed their life through this time, he said, the role of worship in all of this was foundational and essential. For at its core, worship is not a kind of church service so much as an understanding of life. How to rule in life rather than being ruled by it, even when tragedy strikes. He's reminding us of something crucial. That worship is primarily about surrender to God, which will help us remain strong in Christ, even in the most painful circumstances. Turning uh, your, your pain-filled heart, like so many of you have had to do, toward God, in expressions of, of adoration and praise and surrender, helps us. Helps us know his love and comfort, even in the darkest of valleys. And again, many of you have, have walked that in ways that, that, I, that I have trouble even comprehending. And by your testimony, some of you, you've inspired me and inspired others and honored God. Before we shift to another teaching point, I want to I wanna pause and, and pray right now for those of you, whether you're here in person or, or engaging online, that are facing painful, difficult things 
in your life. And, and for you, maybe, maybe even the thought of worshiping God right now is tough. In my prayerful preparation, the moment that I had in my office, I, 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 this prayer came and I just wrote it down. And I felt that in the middle of this message, I, I wanted to pause and, and pray this pre-written prayer. Pray it to God on your behalf. And if this is where you're at right now, feel God's grace and strength and comfort as I pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are in pain of any kind. I pray for those who may have lost sight of your love for them. And they're wondering where you are. Please remind them and show them that you're there. May they choose to worship you, even in the midst of this very difficult season of their life. And may they experience your deep peace filling their hearts and minds as a result of their surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, another idea that I want to highlight, it's tough to address the topic of worship without at least touching on the biblical priority of believers gathering to worship together. Uh, Let me say first that expressions of worship in the Sunday gathering are, are, are rather meaningless if worship of God isn't our pattern the other six days of the week. And and conversely, if we're endeavoring to live our daily lives as worship to God, then I believe that worshiping together with other Christ followers will will be something we'll we'll want to do. Again, there's something powerful about that, about worshiping in in unity with, with other believers. Many of you know that because you've experienced it. And way to go. In the book I just read from, the author reminds us that the New Testament book of Acts uh, sets a template of various elements of the worship gathering that still apply to, to us today, like singing worship together, praying together, hearing uh, God's truth uh, presented, um, pre- presenting to God our worship of giving, which has been a part of worship since way back in Old Testament times. And, and, and Pastor Hayford also writes about the priority of believers assembling together so that, so that these things can be collectively experienced. And, and this resonates so deeply with, with me because of the, because of the danger, actually, of, of this becoming less of a priority, which, which, by the way, has always been the case throughout the centuries. Even the first century church there, there were some Christ followers at various times who, who began, for whatever reasons it doesn't say, uh, to, to pull away from the gathering of the body. And God knew that that was spiritually dangerous. That's why he had the writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, many of you know these words, recorded there, a specific direction to God's followers in Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may, the scripture says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. <laughs> one of the key reasons we come together to encourage one another, right? Um, Not giving up meeting together, verse 25, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, capital D, the the end approaching. In in other words, the, the, the gathering of believers will become increasingly important as time marches toward the end, as the Bible describes it. 
These biblical words in Hebrews 10 that are so clear and straightforward are, um, I've seen, I feel like at times downplayed by some in these days of uh, digital church, as it's called. And don't misunderstand me, online ministry has such a, an important place in, in our world, and certainly as we know it today, of course, as, as, a, as an arm of ministry, as a, as, and certainly, uh, maybe particularly even as, a, as an outreach to seekers. It's great. There's an American pastor who recently wrote in one of his blogs that the context of this Hebrews New Testament reference about not giving up meeting together, that the context was not corporate worship. Caught my attention. And I appreciate the vast majority of what this particular leader writes, and I read a fair bit of his blogs, but I disagree with that statement of his. In all my years of study of this passage, no writer or commentary has, has ever said that before, and, and maybe I'm misunderstanding what, what he was saying, but that's how I took it. Um, now, I, I wouldn't say the only application of Hebrews, the words in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 is the Sunday gathering, some, something that the first century Christians, as many of you know, initiated at, at some point after the resurrection of Jesus as the weekly celebration of the resurrection of Christ and, and the salvation it brings to us. It's great. We see reference to what was this new pattern of a Sunday gathering in Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together. Uh, Paul references, uh, uh, refers to believers meeting together uh, on the first day of the week in 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Um, the writer of this blog I'm referring to says that this verse in Hebrews is speaking directly about not giving up on relationships. Now, certainly we must never give up on relationships. And growing our relationships with one another is one of the key purposes for believers grouping up regularly in any format. Someone might say, well, you can get that in a small group. You're right, you can, and, and, and you should. However, put these words from Hebrews together with what was the practice of New Testament Christ followers and the Sunday gathering is, is a part of the important application of these words from God in Hebrews 10. And please, don't, don't let this discussion ever devolve into a debate that pits larger gatherings of believers against small groups. It's not, it's not either or, it's both and. And most, a lot of us, anyway, have experienced the benefit and the, the, the spiritual influx positively of, of, of both of these. It's not either or, it's both and. Because, also because there are, there are different outcomes, I would say, potentially, and, and even some slightly differing specific purposes between those two types of gatherings. Um, the, the, there's the weekly Sunday celebration that we definitely see as part of the pattern, as I've said already, in New Testament believers' lives, and, and the Acts 2.46 reference to the fact that they also got together, it says there, in, in their homes and, and ate together. And, and I'm sure those meetings, as we read through Acts, you see uh, spiritual interaction, meaningful fellowship, prayer together, whatever, that, uh, uh, whatever took place in those small group gatherings was uh, of spiritual um, encouragement to all that were there. So it's not, a, it's not a debate. Anything that was a priority for God in the first century church must also be a priority for us today. 
There's another, and I need to wrap up here. There's another vital uh, element to the why of the priority of the Sunday gathering. I I think that too often our conversation can focus on uh, what will I get out of worship? What will I get out of the worship gathering? And and I've heard that uh, over the years numerous times. But, But isn't the way of living in the way of Jesus always far more about what we can give than what we can get? It, it is. Even though, even though we get a lot, if we gather with a heart to serve and to encourage others, if our focus is in giving in any way we can, we're going to receive. And again, so many of you know this. For sure we're going to receive. God, God knows that your church family needs you. Your church family needs you. Because when you're not in the gathering, you're, you're, you're missed. The, the blessing of your personality, the, your, your, of, your, of your giftings, of your smile. Of your prayer for others. And I am just jacked when I hear, and I hear it fairly regularly. And when, when, when one person in the body has stopped and talked and then ended up praying for someone who was honest enough to share. It's difficult. I'm going through a difficult... And, and they pray for, for that person. Beautiful, powerful, must happen. Be open to that. It's not a tough question. Can I just pray briefly for you about that right now? It's good. You're missed. Your expression of welcome to newcomers. When you're not here, you're missed. When you're not here, your words of encouragement are missed. Your expressive worship that inspires others is missed. What you contribute to make the gathering vibrant is missed. It's not up to, we're not performers up here. We're in this together, worshiping God together. And I know we're in a unique season, of course. But I'm talking about this broadly. And I talked about this fairly regularly, pre-COVID. And so did the Bible. Food for thought. And I'm preaching to the choir here. Now there's, for reasons we respect, for this season, are, are, are not grouping up in person. And that's why so many of us, churches and, and ourselves included, with the tech skills that God blessed our church with, to be able to do it is phenomenal. And we want you to feel a part. And we are. We're one body, as, as, as Joel said. This isn't about making a chasm, right? But as we look to the future, because this will be in our rearview mirror. It will. And I'm not going to say when. But what does life look like for you as a Christ follower relative to the body of Christ that that you're a part of, whether it's here or someone, somewhere else, be connected and be a blessing as God leads you. He wants to use you to be exactly that within the context of the church family locally expressed where he places you. It's a beautiful and powerful thing. I had some, I don't know what I was thinking, preparing so much. I'm going to stop there. Easy on the amens.
This is important stuff, isn't it? The role of the body of Christ. My role in the body of Christ. And the role of the body of Christ in my life. I mean, there's a beautiful picture of these families up here dedicating these kids. And I, <laughs> I'm so grateful for people that invested in my three kids who are now all a part still of our church family and involved in ministry. And that's not a boastful statement. I often say that's God's grace and a great mom. <laughs> and people like Pastor Ryan, Ashley, and others. People that volunteer week after week when they were in children's ministry downstairs. The interaction, the intergenerational interaction, beautiful, powerful, important. Lean into it, people. If you're 19, you notice the 12-year-old. and Stop and talk to them. Make them feel welcomed and noticed and valued, please. It's God's desire for our church. you're 70, find the 50-year-old who's entering a new phase of life with kids leaving and you can talk about what that's like if that's been your experience. Or if you're 24 and you find your way to someone who looks really old and they're 57 <laughs> and you go out of your way to say, hey, how you doing? My name's you might have a few moments of silence because they're shocked. Maybe not. Body life starts meaningful, spiritually helpful body life. Most often starts with a simple hello. Let's go there. Let's go there in the days ahead. And continue to cultivate the DNA in our church of being loving, encouraging, inspiring to one another. And out of that will come powerful outreach in the mission that Jesus has called us to. Right? They will know that we're his followers by our love for one another. And certainly for people that don't yet know Christ. Maybe you have never come to the place of surrendering your life to Christ. I'm going to give you that opportunity as we close to ask God to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. In this moment, you can do that. And if that's your desire, you can pray, Father, thank you. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to take upon himself the penalty of sin which belonged to me. But Jesus, thank you for stepping in voluntarily for me so that I could go free and not be separated from you for eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of eternal salvation you bring to me by your death and resurrection. I want to surrender my life to you. I don't know what's all on the other side of that, but I know you love me most, and you want me in your family. And so I receive your gift of grace and forgiveness right now, and thank you for loving me so much. I want to follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, there's a QR code that you can point your phone app at and a form will come up that will allow you to let us know that you made that commitment. We, we, we don't want to harass you or in any way, but we do want to make ourselves available and possibly give you some resources. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. 
So take advantage of that. God bless you.